We live in an interesting world. Um, I remember when I was in school, one of the books that uh, you had to read was uh, George Orwell's 1984. Has anyone, anyone read that? A few of you have read that. And that was like back then, like the great fear was that government was going to get so big that it was going to control information and you wouldn't actually be able to get the information that you wanted, that there was a risk of information being restricted. Um, and that was kind of the, the terrible end that we were going to end up at. Um, what I find really interesting is uh, we just live in a, in a world now where there's such an abundance of information that people just don't engage with it that much anymore. So you send people text messages and they don't reply. You send emails out to people and they don't reply. Like it's, it's, it's like the world is awash with information and people are just tired of it. Uh, you, you see and you hear stories of, uh, of people clicking out of Facebook, uh, literally just saying, I'm, I'm logging off and I'm just not doing Facebook anymore. There's just this abundance of information and it gets people tired. Uh, one of the, uh, the next kind of frontiers, I think, in, um, in our world is the whole CCTV thing, that you're, you're being watched. Uh, just in case you don't know, there's CCTV in the car park, all right? So don't think you're going to come out and do doughies there and get away with it, all right? There's CCTV there and they're watching you drive in and out. Whatever you do, they're watching you drive in and out in the school here. And more and more of that kind of stuff is actually happening around us. You might have heard some of the uh, civil libertarians coming out and pushing back against this and talking about privacy because now we're in the, the world of facial recognition. So not only do we just have CCTV, but now we've got facial recognition. We can identify people who are walking around and doing things. Now, there is a sense in which, we're in our world, that there's just such an abundance of information that whatever information is actually gathered from these CCTV um, cameras is actually going to get lost in the wash because of how much is out there. Kind of like a Where's Wally picture. Have you ever seen one of those? It's like you're in there somewhere, but there's so much stuff on the page and so much going on that you'll get lost. Well, there's one place, dads, where you, uh, you have CCTV happening 24-7. And you know what it is? It's your children. <laughs> they are recording basically 24-7. All right? I know they sleep, but they're recording. They're watching you and they're working out stuff by, uh, by looking at you. Hopefully not in a creepy way, but just in a, in a, a learning kind of way, a, a sponge kind of way. And they're probably learning way more from you than you think. Okay, that, that's probably an accurate thing to say. Bottom line is, dads, your kids are watching you. No question. Now, today I actually just want to look at four things that your children learn by watching their dad. But uh, before we kind of kick into this, I just want to clarify something. Um, a perfect dad, I'll just think about this for a minute, a perfect dad, physical dad, human dad, has never existed. Ever. All right? Jesus wasn't a dad. And Adam and Eve blew it before they became parents, it appears to us. Cain and Abel were born after uh, the fall. So you know what? There's never, ever been a perfect dad on this planet. So what do we have before us? Well, what we have before us is every single dad, human dad that's ever existed, is a mixed bag. Some good and some bad, a mixed bag. 
You know, dads have a super powerful influence on their children, but the reality of them being imperfect means that their influence sometimes is going to be helpful and sometimes it's just not going to be helpful. And that's kind of how it works. You know, this is, this is kind of how our world works, right? You find something that's really powerful and it tends to be powerful for good. And if it's imperfect, it's powerful for bad as well. It kind of does both things and cuts both ways, you know. And, and here's the bottom line. Like kids watch their dads and they learn stuff from their dads. And which dad here or even which mum here hasn't said at some point in time, you're not meant to copy the bad stuff. All right, you just do. You just go, you're not meant to copy the bad stuff. Just pick all the good stuff and copy that. And you know, this is kind of you a bit, right? This is me too. This is all of us because we're all imperfect. You know, and sometimes you can, uh, when you start out being a dad, you can think, I'm going to fix up all the mistakes that my dad made and then make a whole bunch of other ones. <laughs> you know, I'm going to fix that up so that my kids don't get scarred by those things. And then the kids get scarred by something else. What scars do you have which came from your father? Everyone's going to have them. What limp do you walk with that your father walked with? You know, I think the, um, in Exodus 34, I'll, just, I'll read this scripture. This is Exodus 34, verse 7. Um, it's God speaking of himself. He says, Who will by no means clear the guilty himself, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You know, I think one of the things that that scripture is talking about is it's actually talking about the fact that the sins of the fathers, they actually disciple their children in the same kinds of sins. That's what they do. And it's not like the kids... Uh, have got no hope of redemption or change or rescue, but it's just one of the realities. And I think you can see that in our culture. I mean, I think one of the, uh, the, the fascinating things is you get, a, you get a child who is determined not to be like their parents and they focus so much on that, they'll end up being like them a lot of the time because they're so focused on not doing that. You know, this is like that moment as a parent, right? Have you had this moment where you go, what the heck are you doing? Whoops. Like, are they doing the thing that you that you do, you know, and you pull yourself up halfway through as you're about to kind of ship them because they're not meant to copy the bad stuff. They're meant to copy just the good stuff. And the reality is, and here's, let me give you some good news. Your, your kids are going to need to be saved by Jesus every bit as much as you need it, okay? Because you actually, and here's a word for the dads today, you're not going to be able to get it 100% right. Which doesn't mean that you don't give it a good crack, all right? You don't have a good go at it, but you're just not going to get it 100% right. And the best possible job that you could do as a father, you're going to need Jesus to come in and mop up for you, okay? It's just the reality. Though your kids will need to be saved and changed by Jesus just as, just as much as you need it. But here's, here's the bottom line. This, this is probably a sober start of the message, but it's not actually meant to be a beat up on dads and what they're not doing well. You know, knowing that you're a mixed bag, I'm going to talk about these four things today. You know what, you're probably nailing some of those, but there's probably times where you're not nailing them. So let, we'll just have a look at them. We'll just see how you're going. If you're going well at it, like keep going, go, go really well, nail it. Um, if you're not doing as well, I'll leave that to you to work out what you're going to do about that. Let's kick in. Here's the first one. Dad, your kids are watching you and they're learning about accountability and submission. Psalm 24 verse 1 to 2 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. 
for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Go back to that first verse there, that first sentence. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Who does that include? Everyone. It includes us. Does it include your kids' dads? Yeah, of course it does. So here's, here's the bottom line for you. You don't own your kids. Now you might say, I'm going to own you if you keep doing that, right? But that's just a saying, right? You actually don't own your kids. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the, from the Lord. They're not yours. Your children are not yours. We, uh, we talked about this at the project a little while ago. You own something when you pay the input cost and you build it. <laughs> All right? That's how it works. And that's kind of uh, what Psalm uh, 24 verse 1 there is saying. It's like you, you pay the input cost and you do the work to build something, then you own it. God made all of us. He paid for all the input costs and he owns everyone. No questions asked. Now, what does that mean for the way that you do parenting? What does it mean for the way that you're a dad, dads? If everyone belongs to God, including your kids... You never, ever have the opportunity to operate unilaterally. Now, let me define that one for you. What is operating unilaterally? It's operating in a way that involves doing or deciding something without first asking or agreeing with another person. All right? You can't just decide you're going to go and do something with your kids. You know why? Because they belong to God and you've been given a job to do by God in the lives of your kids. So what does that have to do with accountability and submission? Well, you're actually doing a job for God. That's what you're doing. <laughs> you're doing a job for God, so uh, you, you need to sink in with Him and you need to work alongside Him as that happens. You know, like if someone loans you a really, really expensive car, they just lent it to you for the afternoon, right? You, you don't just take that into a pedal beater and say, I'm going to make it green instead of red, <laughs> right? Like, you don't do that. You don't kind of drive it into a smash repairs place and just go, hey, look, you've got three hours, just spray paint this baby uh, green because I think it'll look nice green instead of red. You don't do that, right? Because someone else actually owns the car. Now, they might want to have it green. That's a whole other story. But when someone else owns it, you just want to be checking in with the other person. You want to be submitting to them. You know, God makes it clear that he's going to hold people accountable. You know, so... When you're disciplining your kids, dads, you're under authority too. And your kids need to see that. So when you discipline your kids, it's not, you don't want your kids to be going, oh, dad, dad can do whatever he wants because he's God of this household. It's like, no, he's got a job to do because the kids belong to God and he's got to answer to God for the job that he does. You with me? That's, that's kind of the way it rolls. And I think there's a beautiful thing that kids learn from their dads when their dads understand that their kids belong to God and God's given them a job to do and they have to answer to God. That's a beautiful thing and kids will learn good things when they see their dads doing that. Because that will be the accusation and that will be the feeling for kids sometimes in the midst of discipline is like they're just going to kind of like just think, well, you can just do whatever you want, you know? And a dad needs to say at this point, like, no, I can't. I don't have that freedom. I do not have the freedom to just do whatever I want here because you belong to Jesus and Jesus has given me a specific job to bring you up. 
and to do what's right. And he's going to ask me to give an account for what I'm doing the same way, in a similar way to he's going to ask you to give an account for what you're doing. We're both under authority here and we both need to submit. One of the uh, things that, uh, if you've ever read uh, Paul Tripp's book on parenting, um, it's just got some really helpful stuff in it. That's, that's a good one to hit up. But one of the things that uh, Paul Tripp talks about is he talks about uh, the fact that there's a distinction between an being an ambassador and being an owner uh, when it comes to your parenting. The uh, scripture that he's referring to by talking about an ambassador is uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, which where Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, an ambassador is not free to speak, think or act independently. They're just not. Their job is to faithfully represent, this is what Tripp says, faithfully represent the message, methods and character of the one who sent him. You know, and there's a tendency for, uh, Tripp goes on to say, there's a tendency for parents to feel like they're owners of their kids. And there's, there are significant differences in the way that you do your parenting between if you see yourself as an owner or an ambassador. He goes through four of them. Here's the first one. He says, uh, the owner versus ambassador thing affects um, your identity, where you look to to find your sense of who you are. He says that owner parents look to get their identity, meaning, purpose and inner sense of well-being from their children. Good luck with that. <laughs> it's a pretty patchy one. He says, ambassador parents, parents who see themselves as ambassadors, approach parenting with a deep sense of identity and purpose and they don't need it from their children because they get it from Jesus. He, uh, he looks at, uh, at work. You know, work, uh, what you define as the work you've been called to do. He says, owner parents need to turn their children into something. They have an idea of what their children need to be and they work to turn them into it. Ambassador parents uh, don't do that. They realise it's actually God that's at work in their kids and that their kids belong to God. The next one, success. What you define success as. If you're an owner parent, you, uh, you define success as with a specific set of indicators that have been uh, successful at, that you've been su successful at in bringing about in your kids. You know, you, you set up these criteria and it's like I'm gonna if I'm an owner parent it's like I've got to get my kids uh, to those points to work out to be successful but an ambassador parent actually doesn't see it that way an ambassador parent who realizes they're a representative of God uh, just doesn't see it that way at all they realize that they're not in control and they don't measure success by what they've done or what their kids sorry they measure success by what they've done not by what their kids are doing and that's a that's a big one, right? I think that's a huge one because here's the bottom line, dads, you can actually nail it and do something exactly the way that God would have you to do it and it'll just go terribly. <laughs> and just because the outcome is bad doesn't mean you didn't nail it in parenting. So you don't measure parenting success by the outcome, you measure it by the way that you've acted and whether you've done the things that God would have you to do in the moment. That's how you measure success. The last thing Tripp talks about is uh, reputation. Reputation is what tells people who you are and what you're about. You know, if you're a, an owner-type parent who think you own your kids, you'll want to turn your kids into trophies. 
and you'd be, you'd be really concerned about what the behaviour that your kids uh, exhibit, what it actually says about you. Um, ambassador parents just know that they're parenting sinners. And they know that it's going to be embarrassing sometimes, there's going to be public stuff that's going to, be, that's going to happen, that's going to uh, reflect on them, and they just realise it's going to be messy. You see, you can, you can see your kids as people that you own or people that God owns and he's tasked you up to do a job in their lives. You know, your kids are watching you, dads, and they're learning about submission um, and they're learning about ownership, they're learning about accountability. Dad, your kids are watching you and they're learning how to handle power. This is uh, Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, you are very, very powerful in your children's lives. Here's a uh, section from an article I was reading from fatherly.com. Kids who grow up with a present engaged dad are less likely to drop out of school or wind up in jail. The, The article references a bunch of research studies. Compared to children with absent fathers and no other male caretakers or role models, when kids have close relationships with father figures, they're less likely to have sex at a young age and tend to avoid other high-risk behaviours. They're more likely to have high-paying jobs and healthy, stable relationships when they grow up. They also tend to have higher IQ test scores by the age of three and endure fewer psychological problems throughout their lives when fatherhood is taken seriously. Dad, you are a very powerful, strong person in your family unit. I mean, even if you look at it physically, uh, generally speaking, the father is almost always the, most, the strongest physical person in the house. And the big question, I think, is when you're powerful both in the, in the lives of your children and also powerful, powerful physically, how do you handle it? How do you wield power? Because your kids are learning about how to handle power by the way that you actually wield it in the house. And here's here's a question. uh, Are you meek? Now, Aristotle, many project people have heard me say this, but I'll say it again. Aristotle said that a domesticated ox is meek. A very, very strong animal, but it has its strength trained and under control. Is that you, Dad's? Is your power under control or is it out of control? Do you use your power for your own ends or is it a conduit for something else? Your kids are watching you. Come back with me to Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's this? Exasperating your children and and pushing your children to anger is an abuse of power, isn't it? That's what it is. And you go right back to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and what you actually see in Genesis chapter 1 is God uses his power and his strength and it brings order and goodness in the world. It creates the world. And then what does God do at the end of Genesis chapter 1? He says to humanity, he creates him in his image and he says, I've given you dominion. It's kind of like, be many me. All right? Be meaning me. I use my dominion and my power to bring about goodness and order and structure and blessing. So you go and do the same thing. Go and do that. 
God's power and strength is never abusive. It's always constructive. Let's, uh, we'll have a couple of big, let's have a look at a couple of expressions of power in the family or some areas where power uh, and strength can be used, but it needs to be handled well. Here's the first one. Discipline. Discipline is about the use of power or strength. But the question about discipline is always, what direction does it have? What's the purpose of it? You know, you go back to Ephesians 6 verse 4 and the purpose of the purpose of power and strength is to bring about good things, not for the father to work for his own ends. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, there's an obligation from the stronger one to the weaker one. It's not one-sided. And I remember um, early in my teaching career, I, uh, I had this student that did something to me and it was, it was like really wrong, right? And I was really, I was really mad about it, <laughs> right? And do you know what I did is I, I assembled in my head all of the reasons why they were so wrong and I, I, I just painted them into a corner. And uh, the principal at the time, you know what the principal at the time said to me? He came up to me and he said, you probably don't want to do that. Because your, your only two options when you paint someone into a corner is they either cower under your power or they come out fighting. They come out swinging. And it's actually not helpful to do that. You see, that's the reality, I think. That kind of stuff comes into play when we're talking about discipline in the family. Like... Is, is it about your power or is it about the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Your kids are watching you. What about this one? Who knows that happens? Family conflict, right? Usually, family conflict happens because one person in the family sins against another one. All right? That's usually how it rolls. Some kind of injustice has been done, some offence has been caused, and the victim is there and they're baying for blood. Right? You just have to get the bad person, the other kid, or that other person in this family. They're the bad ones. Just get rid of them. And, but you know, this is a real test of power, right? And the reason why this is a test of power and strength in the use of it is because the instinctive tendency is we've just got to take out the evildoer. But is, is that what God does? Well, I guess eventually he does. But God knows that both the offender and the offendee, they both need to be rescued. True? And so it's not just about disposing of the bad person. Because we know that the bad person, you would have seen this, parents, in... In, uh, in families, the bad person can quickly become the victim and the, quick term, the victim can quickly become the bad person, like within 10 minutes sometimes. Isn't that true? And so this is going to be a test of power. So, so dads are going to be called upon to actually get involved in conflict in the family home and the dad needs to exercise power well, not to just dispose of the evildoer, but to win and to rescue both of them because he knows that the evildoer and the victim both need rescuing. They just need rescuing in different ways. That's true, right? Now that, that is going to call for a far more nuanced and careful application 
of strength and power than just doing away with one person for the sake of the other. You want your kids to observe over and over good use of power and learn what it looks like to use power and strength well, dads. God never uses his power just to rescue the victim but to uh, rescue perpetrators also. We want kids, right? Who's with me on this? We want kids that actually will fight against injustice. Who wants that? Yeah. But we don't want Hulk kind of injustice fighters, do we? You know Hulk, the superhero? He gets some good stuff done, but he trashes a bunch of stuff along the way. Has anyone ever noticed that? And you're all kind of going, yeah, okay, it's kind of mess, right? Okay, well, I think we kind of ended up with a better situation, but the whole city's wrecked now. You know, because he just lost his cool. We, don't, we actually don't want to raise kids like that, that just abuse power. They might get some good things done, but then there's just a whole bunch of collateral damage that kind of goes on at the same time. Mercy, which is not giving someone what they deserve, is an amazing amazingly controlled use of power um, and I think uh, the family conflict one leads naturally to mercy uh, there's a great book called by uh, David Powlison on anger um, where he says this he says mercy is righteous anger so if you want to nail anger one of the ways you can nail anger is by being merciful because you know what mercy is mercy is, is actually about engaging with what is wrong and seeking to bring a helpful outcome both for the offender and for the offended. That's what you're doing when you show mercy. You're not kind of closing your eyes, you're not blind to things. Mercy is actually about stepping in the way of evil. That's what it is. And seeking a helpful uh, outcome for both. Here's a quote from Pallison's book, Good and Angry. The constructive displeasure of mercy... Good anger operates as one aspect of mercy. It brings good into bad situations. It stands up for the helpless and victimised. It calls out wrongdoers but holds out promises of forgiveness, inviting wrongdoers to a new life. Are you merciful, dads? And not just merciful in the way that you're going after the, uh, the one that's been victimised, but you're going after the, uh, the perpetrator as well. Your kids are watching you. And they're learning about how you handle power and how to handle it. Dad, your kids are watching you and they're learning about what it means to fear God. This is Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You know, the fear of God, the correct fear of God actually isn't about being scared or terrified of Him. It's about reverence and respect. That God is just not someone to be trifled with. And there is a sense, I think, in families in which dads are the ones that kind of play this role or ought to play this role in families. You know, not in a unilateral, like operating on their own for their own ends kind of way, but as the backstop in the family. Don't cross dad because it won't go well for you if you do. <laughs> All right? That's, that's, that kind of thing teaches children the fear of God. Right? Don't cross dad because it won't go well for you not because he's going to lose his temper but because he will discipline you 
Hebrews 12 verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You won't get it past them. That's kind of got to be the vibe in the house. You're not going to get it past dad. I mean, whoever had their mum say to them, wait till your father gets home. Right? Obviously a bunch of you. That happened to me. It's like, oh, that's not good. Right? At any level. That is just not good. And that's an, I think at some level that's an appropriate fear. Now, some of you may have actually had someone say that and Dad was going to fly off the handle. Now, that's, that's being terrified and that's being scared and that's not the kind of fear of God that the Scriptures talk about. It's just not, it's not meant to work like that ever. But dads are meant to be the backstop. It's like, don't cross Dad. But here's the kicker. It's not about being fearsome. It's about kids respecting their dad. It's not about flying off the handle and being erratic and being unpredictable and that's why we're fearing him. You know, at at the end of the day, that kind of fear, I was talking to someone this week, you can be really powerful and you can scare someone else, but scaring other people doesn't actually change them. It changes their behaviour on the surface, but it doesn't actually change them. Have you ever noticed that? It just doesn't do it. It doesn't change people deep down. It changes their behaviour and it makes them operate in fear, but it doesn't actually bring about the kind of transformation that God desperately wants. And if, Dad, if you're a dad who's scaring your kids, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> you need to stop doing that. Your kids need to respect and honour you and know that you don't cross Dad, but you don't terrify your kids and you don't scare your kids. And here's kind of the other side to the coin here when we're talking about dads teaching the fear of God is, um, is and this is like one of the weird realities about God, isn't it? That he's just fierce in a sense and he's big and he's like, you don't cross him, yet he's also ridiculously close, isn't he? And he's loving. And he loves us like down to the deepest fibre of our being, doesn't he? And, it's, and like, have you ever had a moment like that where you just kind of got those two things going on at the same time? You sh- sh- shake your head, you know, like a dog who's just had a bath. And you just kind of go, what? how does that even compute? How is it that there's people in the scriptures that disobey him and kind of step right across the line and they just get in a huge amount of trouble and he's that fierce and he's that fierce and yet he's also this close? And he wants to be my friend. <laughs> and he calls me, he calls himself my father. A tender term. It's amazing, right? This is, I think, um, Dad, this is, this is your job, right? It's not just to teach your kids fear and respect. It's actually to teach them that fear, respect and honour and deep and intimate and close love go together. It's a dad's job. Okay, now if you don't know how to do that, you should get around some people who are doing okay at that. And I think everyone's probably on a journey of doing that, but that's that's what we're all that's what God's called us all to do, gentlemen. If you're a father, is like put really appropriate honor, respect, and close love right next to each other. 
This is 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. The kind of fear it's talking about there is kind of going to hell kind of fear, all right? Uh, and I think this is what John's talking about in 1 John 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with what? Punishment. It doesn't say discipline. It says punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, you get perfected by God's love. Scaring the crap out of someone never made them perfect. (laughs) Someone being terrified doesn't make them perfect. It just changes what's on the surface. Love is actually the thing that changes people. So God is fierce and he loves you. And he's close to you. And this is what fathers need to emulate to their kids. Being fierce and close. (laughs) Don't, Don't cross me. This is really important. Right? And not for my own ends. God's called me to be the one in this house that just is the backstop and we're going to go after Jesus, dads. That's your job. All right? And I come and do other stuff in my house. This is, this is what we're doing. But I love you so much. I'm just going to hang out with you lots. I'm going to talk with you about things. I'm going to know what your favourite song is. Being fierce and close. Number four, dads, your kids are watching you and they're learning about being intentional. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, you probably quoted this one lots and this is one of my pet peeves for the way that some people quote this, uh, but I'm not even going to read the rest of it. Just notice the first part of uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. All right? The reason why I think the way that people interpret it can be a bit messy is basically the whole of Jeremiah is a beat up. Like people are just getting toweled up all over the place. Right? So I think just grabbing that text, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It's, look, you can say that that's true using other scriptures in the book, but in the Bible, but you just want to be a little bit careful about the way they use the Jeremiah one because the context is pretty significant, what's going on there. But just note this, this first part here. I know the plans I have for you. God is a planner. He's got plans and purposes and he brings those plans and purposes about. And dads, children notice whether you have a plan and whether you can be focused on something and go after it and achieve it. And I tell you something, dads, like it's, it's one thing to have a plan for your career and I think that's a good thing. It's better than not having a plan. But have you got a plan for your family? Have you got a plan for your kids, in, for growing your kids up? What do they need? How long will your kids be with you? What do you need to teach them? What's important to their spiritual development? You know, what, what family stories are you going to tell over and over at different times that actually shape the family culture, shape who you are? How are you going to engage with troubles and difficulties in the family? You know, this is where dads specialise, I think. Um, Because dads tend to be problem solvers, get stuff done. Okay? That's kind of what they are. This is the, um, one of the common 
complaints of uh, wives sometimes is the husband just tries to fix the problem they're just going I don't want you to fix it I just want to tell you about it well that's that's kind of dad's specialty right it's like they're just going to fix stuff I mean if you look at my office it has spells here and there where all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of broken stuff on my desk and sitting on the floor and it's like the kids just you know maybe not so much now they've grown up a bit but when they were younger it's like some magic right you break something you take it in dad's office and it comes out fixed that's that's just what happens you know, dads, get a shape and direction to where you're taking your family. You know, God's planning of his story through history is meticulous, isn't it? Like he just has a clear plan. He's taking people somewhere and he's very, very clear about where he's taking them. You know, if you're watching that, you're watching God, for example, and God has this really clear plan... There's a few really helpful things that you can learn from that because we're all God's children. And one of the things that you learn is that if you're part of that plan, you actually feel a little bit more important. Have you noticed that? He's got a plan and it includes me. So I'm important to him. I'm significant. You know, there's, it, it's just good to be on someone else's agenda. You know, humanity kind of goes wrong when we're on our own agenda. There's a bigger purpose. You know, I think when someone has a plan, and this is my encouragement to the dads, and look, you probably are doing this already, and I just say, keep going. But here's my encouragement to, the, to your dads. You want to you communicate to your, your kids that they're valuable and they're important and they're significant? Have a plan for them. Have a plan. And uh, work out, uh, pray about it, seek God, work out where you're going to take your kids, how you're going to grow them, you know? It's, it's probably true, I don't know if there's anyone here like this, but it's probably true that some people have more of a plan for their garden than for their kids. <laughs> they have more of a plan for their career than they do for their own family. And it's just my encouragement to you, have a good plan for your family and, and, and engage your wife on it if you can do that and, um, and, help to take, uh, and work together to take your kids somewhere. Be involved with homework, sporting events don't be cold to them be open to them so dads your children are watching you and they're learning about accountability and submission they're learning how to handle power they're learning the fear of god and they're learning about being intentional